Hello and welcome to the May edition of Farmer Intelligence's podcast. In this week's podcast, we will be discussing the current dynamics and market outlook for psychiatric disorders with a focus on schizophrenia, bipolar and major depressive disorder or MDD for short. To start, we will discuss the market trends across these diseases and then we'll move on to talk about the clinical landscape and exciting pipeline products. First off, I'd like to introduce Data Monitor's CNS and INI analyst, Summer Colling. Hi. And Pharma Intelligence's senior consultant, Kripa Krishnan. Hello. So, starting off, what does the overall market landscape look like for depression, bipolar, and schizophrenia currently? Um, so, in both the schizophrenia and bipolar market, uh, atypical antipsychotics are the most dominant of the drug classes. Um, and the all atypical antipsychotic market is particularly um, very highly generalised. Um, and therefore very competitive. Um, antipsychotics work by altering the brain chemistry and are agonists of the dopamine and serotonergic receptors, um, although the exact modes of action aren't really known. Um, so treatment is normally a combination of medicine, especially in bipolar, where many people are on a cocktail of drugs, um, and also this, they can be on drugs alongside therapy and sometimes cognitive behavioural therapy, and this can be tailored to each individual. And first generation antipsychotics, including haloperidol and chlorpromazine, are the cheapest, um, but can have potentially significant neurological side effects, so they're not really recommended anymore. And But second generation antipsychotics, many of which overlap between these psychiatric indications, such as alanspine and risperidone, they're generally preferred nowadays because um, they pose a lower risk of side effects, but there are still some tolerability issues such as weight gain and akathisia, which is um, inner restlessness. Um, some antipsychotics can be given in intravenous form. These are called long-acting injectables, um, which are normally used for improving adherence. These are more expensive up front, but they can often work out being more cost efficient in the long run because the adherence to oral meds is actually very much overestimated um, in these patient populations. Um, so with regards to major depressive disorder or, you know, the umbrella term depression, um, it poses an incredible challenge to society as the leading cause of mental health related disease burden. This will only have been exacerbated by the pandemic with a preliminary study pointing towards a troubling in the prevalence of depression symptoms in the U.S. during the first month of lockdown measures. While the long-term epidemiological consequences of the pandemic are unclear, many patients today are not well served by current treatment options, and the pharma industry has collectively produced few therapeutic advances in recent times. The need for new and novel treatments will grow over time, yet drug discovery is challenged by the incomplete understanding of the biological basis for major depression. A large number of pharmacotherapies are based on the monoamine hypothesis, which essentially posits that neurotransmitter levels underpin the main symptoms, yet one third of the patients only partially respond and a further third remain completely treatment refractory. This biological complexity coupled with high attrition rates among pipeline projects has led many large pharma companies to pull back completely from further depression research, creating a negative feedback loop that has endured throughout the last decade. 
However, in spite of these challenges, there are encouraging signs emerging from basic research that may yet rekindle broader interest in developing novel antidepressants. Acad academic research into psychedelic-based treatments is now being translated into startup biotechs seeking to validate the therapeutic effect, while the number of early-stage clinical trials is beginning to increase year-on-year. For the first time in many years, there is increased hope for the prospect of novel differentiated antidepressants that may address the long-standing unmet needs of patients. These will require clinical proof of concept in larger studies to draw investment from big pharma, who will remain cautious considering the challenges of trial design, depression, and acceptability of controlled substances. And what are these markets looking like in terms of current trends, key players, and unmet needs? Um, according to Informa's data monitor healthcare, the prevailing cases of MDD uh, worldwide is set to witness a 7% increase by 2027, hitting a new milestone of around 248.9 million cases. Asia is actually estimated to have the largest number of prevailing cases at approximately 145.3 million by 2027. Additionally, the value of depression of the depression drug market is set to double over the 2021 to 2030 forecast period with sales of currently marketed and pipeline drugs in the US, Japan and the five major EU markets. So that would be France, Germany, Italy, Spain and the UK reaching 10.8 billion. This is fueled by a combination of bargaining patient caseload as well as an uptake of new products targeting novel targets. Having said that, only 25% of the total population affected by MDD are currently treated. One study further reports that roughly 50% of patients do not adequately actually respond to current treatment options. Traditional therapies may take four to six weeks to produce clinically meaningful effects and refractory de depression persists. This suggests that current treatment options are either not efficacious, accessible, affordable, or acceptable by the vast majority. Adverse side effects coupled with slow or inadequate treatment response with current antidepressants have fueled the search for newer targets and mechanisms of action. A KOL from a recent interview cited that, um, quote, I mean, with the typical antidepressant, the response rate is something like 70%, and the response is defined as a 50% decrease in the depression rating scale. But if you use like a higher criteria remission, which means basically the, the patient's symptoms are not different from somebody's who's not ever been depressed, then the rates actually go to about 30 or 40%. Therefore, novelty in mechanisms of action is a key differentiator that is emerging in the depression market after decades of stagnated innovation. As mentioned before, since long-standing standard of care drug classes like the SSRIs and SNRIs have been inadequate in treating depression, they're most likely to be dethroned by the market-leading position by other pioneering drug classes such as NMDA receptors and steroidal antidepressants. Combined sales of the novel products of Spirato, Zilreso, Sage 217AXS, Ophire, and REL 1017, Celtorexant, uh, and COM360 will gr greatly grow the depression market. Spirato in particular is expected to become a broad blockbuster brand. Um, it's, it's a, it's a first-in-class drug in the second product approved and the second product approved by the FDA for treatment-resistant depression and has the potential to confer fast-acting benefits. And then if we move on to bipolar, which brands do you think are the key players here? So uh, looking at the forecast as a whole for bipolar, the majority of drugs are approved for maintenance, so long-term treatment, and, and the treatment of manic phases, which are the 
phases of heightened energy, creativity and euphoria. Um, the, the bipolar market compound annual growth rate is set to increase between now and 2027 by about 6%. Um, but the loss of exclusivity of some of these key brands around this time, um, revenues are likely to decrease uh, after this until novel brands are able to make an impact. The leading brands in terms of revenue um, are all antipsychotics, uh, Sumitomo's La Tuda, which is Lurosidone, um, set to lose ex US exclusivity in 2023, and Abvi's Vrela. Um, which is caraprazine, which will likely lose exclusivity in 2028. And the Tudor was a key player, particularly in the bipolar depression patient segment, um, although Rayla will soon take over this market share when the uh, Tudor loses ex exclusivity. And these branded drugs often are often taken adjunctively with lithium, which was approved by the FDA a long time ago in 1979, um, in combination with valproate. And this is still regarded as the gold standard among mood stabilising therapies. Um, lithium is forecasted to have the largest patient market share in the US. Doctors still don't know for sure how lithium works, but it's thought to help strengthen nerve connections in the brain. And currently, the long-acting injectable uh, market in bipolar is limited, with only Abilify Maintainer, which is Aripiprazole, and Risperidol Consta, Risperidone, um, approved. Um, Abilify Maintainer takes the edge in terms of dosing convenience here with its once monthly dosing as opposed to Risperdal Consist twice weekly dosing um, and there's also a once every two months version of Abilify Maintainer which is in early stage development at the moment. So I'm aware that a new drug for bipolar was recently launched by BioXL. Um, can you go into a bit more detail on the importance of this drug and have there been any other recent launches? So I believe this drug is Egalmi, which was recently launched by BioXL in April this year for agitation in bipolar and schizophrenia. Um, it's not particularly novel in terms of its mode of action or chemical entity. Um, it's a new formulation of dexamethetonamine, um, but physicians are hoping its sublingual route of administration will lead to better outcomes. Um, agitation often manifests during manic episodes and is characterised by motor restlessness, mental tension and excitement. And this often escalates into physical aggression, um, which sometimes leads to emergency department visits. And so severe agitation in acute psychiatric facilities is currently dependent on invasive intravenous agents and sometimes even physical restraints. Um, some of these agents can actually lead to heavy sedation and other side effects as well, which can lead to tense situations. Um, so the sublingual Igami film can be non-invasively self-administered by patients, which should help support a positive patient-provider relationship. Um, and aside from this, there's a new drug called uh, Capliter, which intracellular therapies have released. Um, this is a version of Lamaperone, um, approved in December 2021. It's actually already approved in, in schizophrenia. Um, it's expected to have a large impact on the depression market as one of, on the bipolar depression market, as one of only two approved uh, for bipolar type two depression, and um, the other being seroquel or creatipine. Um, but this is only approved as a monotherapy, whereas if cat can be taken 
alongside lithium and valparate, it will be a big differentiator and help increase its tolerability. Um, it's also been reported by physicians to not cause too much weight gain, like most antipsychotics. Um, so our forecast actually predict, predicts peak US sales of over 2 billion for Caplita in 2029, um, as bipolar depression, particularly in type 2, is a, a large unmet need in this market. Summer, you mentioned there is a depression patient segment within the bipolar market. Kripa, what exactly does the depression market entail? Yeah, so there's growing competition from generic manufacturers of SSRIs owing to expired patents that has had implications on overall earnings for some of the major brands. The number of trials conducted for MDD has seen an overall reduction over the past decade, with 2021 proving to be an exception. This is, however, most likely attributed to the impact that the pandemic has had on overall mental health. Investment in R&D for MDD by Top Pharma and other industry sponsors is significantly lower than that of academia. When looking at the distribution of sponsor type over time, it is evident that the investment in clinical trials by the top 20 pharma companies has fallen. On the contrary, the number of trials sponsored by academic institutions is not only consistently higher, but also showing an increasing trend, thereby widening, widening the gap between the types of funding received by the two stakeholders of interest. Whilst the major pharma giants have essentially withdrawn themselves from the R&D landscape, there's evident interest brewing among smaller firms and startups. The pursuit for the next groundbreaking medication, however, is, is being cut short with the notorious difficulties in clinical testing. And Summer, what are some of the trends in the market for schizophrenia? Um, so our estimated compound annual growth rate for schizophrenia market is uh, higher um, over the 10 year forecast period than for bipolar. Um, it's got a growth rate of about 4.88% between now and 2031. Um, our forecast is actually split into acute and stable schizophrenia, but the majority of drugs in this market are indicated for use in schizophrenia as a whole. Um, most of them are used for positive symptoms of schizophrenia, which is hallucinations, psychosis, uh, and hyperactivity. Um, Comparably to bipolar, the Tudor and Vrela are the highest selling or antipsychotics currently, but Otsuka's uh, Rexalti will also likely dominate when La Tudor loses its exclusivity in 2023. And the Japanese and European markets differ slightly from the US, with more dominance from Eli Lilly's Cyprexa, and in Japan from Somitomo's Lonison, and more recently the uh, Lonison Generics. And the patent for Lonison actually expired in 2019, um, but Sumitomo released a transdermal patch uh, formulation to try and combat the genericization. Um, it's, it worked, but only to a very small extent, really. Um, and we've got LIOs as well, which take up a much larger, larger population of the market than in bipolar. We've, we've got about 20 to 30 percent of patients are on some form of LII. Um, and this could even be higher if, if more patients would agree. And the market leader here by far is Johnson & Johnson's Invega franchise, with Invega Sustena and Trinza, which are formulations of paliperidone. And they generated $2.5 billion uh, dollars in 2021 in the US. Invega Sustena is taken once monthly, but Trinza is uh, taken once every three months. Um, giving it advantage over some of the other LAIs like Abilify Mainstner, Aristada and Risperdal Consta. And there's also been a recent approval of uh, Invega Hafiera, 
which is actually once every six months. Um, this, this was approved in August 2021. And it showed non-inferiority to Trinza, um, which further sets it apart from the other LAIs, um, reducing the burden of frequent healthcare visits to patients. Um, there are also many pipeline LAIs in, in development, which I'll talk about later. And um, what do you think are the main unmet needs in schizophrenia? So in terms of uh, unmet needs in this market, patients need more tolerable drugs, drugs with, for treatment resistant schizophrenia and drugs that address non-compliance, um, which the LAIs are already starting to help with a little bit. And there's also very limited treatment options for negative symptoms um, and cognitive deficits. Um, so cognitive deficits are struggling with learning and information uh, retention. And negative symptoms that are quite similar to depression, and um, so involving uh, a lack of interest in life, uh, social withdrawal, and a lack of motivation, um, as opposed to the other positive symptoms, which are often more obvious. Um, negative symptoms are present in about 40 to 60 percent of schizophrenia patients, um, so there's definitely a large unmet need here. And psychiatrist consensus seems to be that the newer drugs like Capliter, Braila. Exalti and Latruda have had the most beneficial impact so far on negative and cognitive symptoms and um, with less sedating effects than other antipsychotics, but the need is still very high. And some psychiatrists have actually reported using off-label um, drugs such as Aricept or low-dose amantadine, which is actually approved for Parkinson's um, for cognitive deficits. And Kreppa, you mentioned earlier about some bottlenecks in the clinical landscape for MDD. Can you provide a bit more detail on this? Absolutely. So the pathogenesis of depression is quite complex and multifaceted with incomplete understanding of the underlying biomarkers. There are critical knowledge gaps not only in the selection of potential therapeutic targets, but also in the design of clinical trials. The process to generate approved treatments is an expensive and arduous endeavor, most of which culminates in phase two. This could be the result of the compound's true lack of efficacy or an inefficient clinical trial design that essentially fails to demonstrate the efficacy of the investigational compound. Other factors that contribute to the inefficient trial design include stringent inclusion and exclusion criteria and or the choice of primary outcome measure. Furthermore, challenges arise from the subjective nature of assessments, diverse nature of symptoms, especially in comparison to medical conditions that are assessed with more quantitative endpoints. Needless to say, the potentiality of substantial placebo response may also pose challenges. The lack of geographical heterogeneity in trial settings, which isn't an accurate representation of clinical real-world settings, can thwart efforts to truly understand the drug treatment efficacy and safety. More than half of the trials in the last decade across all sponsor types have been conducted either in the US or China, 32% um, and 22% respectively, respectively. Therefore, it is possible that the current standard of care antidepressants may not meet the needs of all patients. And can you provide a bit more insight into this lack of heterogeneity observed in clinical trials for depression? Sure. So evidence suggests that patients enrolled in phase three clinical trials for depression may not be representative 
of typical depressed patients seeking treatment. So the clinical trials may therefore not be indicative of the patients, you know, in a regular clinic or rather generalizable to a larger and more diverse population. This could be a function of healthier patients being diagnosed with depression or very stringent inclusion and exclusion criteria that was mentioned before, which could potentially disregard a portion of the population and may otherwise meet the that might otherwise meet the clinical criteria for depression. Um, just for reference, one study looked at around 2K participants who are either seeking treatment for MDD in primary care or specialty care settings or identified by their clinicians as having MDD. The inclusion criteria for one sample was established in consensus of several authors on the basis of their respective experiences in designing and implemented, implementing placebo-controlled registration trials. Out of the total number of these participants, only 22% met the criteria for inclusion for the efficacy sample. Therefore, stringent criteria for phase three clinical trials may recruit relatively healthier patients, therefore potentially confounding the final results. This could also have downstream multifold implications, such as the overuse of drugs on patients for whom there may be very limited effect, unsatisfactory results wherein the drug is deemed ineffective for a certain patient population, therefore resulting in the failure of the clinical trial and a missed opportunity, potential adverse effects on patient populations that were not part of the initial test cohort, um, and or the rate of relapse and severity of the withdrawal symptoms for patient populations that are not part of the initial test cohort. And do you think there are any parallels to the psychiatric landscape as a whole? Absolutely. The trends observed for depression, bipolar and schizophrenia are invariably reflective of the psychiatric landscape as a whole. It is well established that the phase two development remains the largest hurdle in drug development across most therapeutic areas. Psychiatric trials actually have had fewer than average number of phase two trials and a below average success rate in the past decade compared to trials in other therapeutic areas. When assessing the sheer volume, the total number of phase two across trials across all therapeutic area has seen an average increase of around 27%. However, the total number of phase two psychiatric trials has seen an overall reduction of 22%. This essentially underscores the need to revamp clinical trial design and increase the likelihood of approval. And now if we move on to pipeline developments, are there any exciting investigational products you'd like to talk about? Let's start with summer and bipolar. And so the bipolar pipeline is actually quite limited currently. We've got five in phase one, two in phase two, three in phase three, and one in the NDA phase. Um, these drugs are all in a variety of uh, drug classes. Um, although the atypical antipsychotic market is, is crowded and the competition is high, there is still room for more atypical uh, antipsychotics with significantly improved safety profiles. Um, and increased convenience, so less frequent dosing. Um, many companies are developing new formulations of old drugs, um, e.g. the extended release versions of aripiprazole, which is currently in phase one, and risperidone um, extended release, which is called Rakindo, which is currently in NDA phase. The improvements here are likely to be incremental. So moving on to the pipeline drugs with new motivations, these are differentiated from antipsychotics on the market and can target new patients or populations. And high need for drugs, more drugs targeting bipolar depression, um, about double the number of patients experience depression compared to mania, um, but the use of antidepressants 
and serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Um, it's debated currently by psychiatrists as they believe that to cause um, patients' manic episodes. Um, following on from the recent approval of Capliter, um, other drugs in the pipeline for bipolar depression include Phenol Pharma's and NRX Pharmaceuticals Cyclorad. Um, so Colchieri is an inhaled formulation of esketamine, um, which is being developed on the back of Johnson Johnson's esketamine drug for major depressive disorder, uh, Spravato. Um, bipolar patients were excluded from Johnson Johnson's Spravato trials, but uh, Colchieri has shown unprecedented superiority over placebo in treatment-resistant bipolar depression phase two trials. Um, with importantly no signs of triggering any manic episodes and um, we're still waiting for phase three results from this one. Um, so the mechanism of action for esketamine is similar to that of ketamine. Um, it is an NMDA glutamate receptor antagonist and classed as an antidepressant. Um, if approved it would become the first drug indicated for treatment resistant bipolar depression. Um, However, an approval decision should be taken with caution um, when considering a drug such as this, as there's more research needs to be undertaken, which pairs uh, the drug treatment with therapy, um, as there will be strict rules applied if it is, if it is approved. Um, positive trials don't suggest that people with bipolar should use a drug on their own uh, in a non-clinical setting, and um, so it will all be very controlled. Um, and um, so cyclorad, which is a combination of cycloserine and lurosidone, um, both these components are actually individually approved, um, but it has the potential to become the first treatment uh, for acute suicidal ideation uh, or behaviour associated with bipolar depression. Um, about one in five patients with bipolar disorder actually complete suicide, so it's a very important area uh, for these drugs to be targeting. Um, the hope is that cyclorad will prolong the effects of ketamine, which is effective against treatment-resistant bipolar depression, um, but the effects normally only last a week or two. So a round of ketamine will be given ahead of cyclorad uh, treatment. Um, the phase two study, which actually only included eight patients, showed that cyclorad treatment led to a 75% reduction in likelihood of bipolar, bipolar patients committing suicide. And do you think the treatment approach for bipolar will change much over time? Uh, so I think the approach to treatments will change as the understanding of bipolar increases. Um, so at the moment it takes on average eight to ten years for the first development of bipolar symptoms in a patient to correct diagnosis. So patients often try many many drugs before finding one actually works for them. It, it is very difficult to diagnose. Patients often visit physicians when they're, when they're depressed and they're misdiagnosed with major depressive disorder. Um, women suffering from bipolar are actually more likely to be in a, a diagnosed with depression, and men are more likely to be diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, so what we really need is treatments that target a combination of symptoms. Uh, for example, a drug that can prevent depressive episodes long-term, ideally in type one and type two. Um, it doesn't increase the onset of mania and also has fewer side effects than these currently marketed drugs. So something like that would have a high uptake. I, I think it's highly unlikely that lithium will be replaced as the gold standard, considering its efficacy in both uh, depression and mania and also in acute and maintenance treatment. 
And for schizophrenia, uh, do you think there are any exciting prospects there? Uh, so the schizophrenia market has also been lacking in novel drugs uh, with new mode of actions targeting new symptoms for a very long time. Um, as mentioned earlier, drugs for negative symptoms are in huge need and there are a few drugs currently competing for the potentially billion dollar chance of being the first approved drug uh, for negative symptoms. Uh, one of Snowdion's new developments, Euluterant, uh, uh, offers novelty as a trace amine associated receptor 1 agonist um, and it does not bind to dopamine receptors, which are the receptors that uh, believed to cause the unwanted side effects such as weight gain, weight gain in, in antipsychotics. Um, it's actually been granted a breakthrough therapy by the FDA. And in a phase two open label extension study, Eulotorant was found uh, to result in significantly greater improvement in negative symptoms on the brief negative symptom scale. Um, but we need larger double blinded studies um, to make full conclusions about the drug. Um, so from looking at the clinical dry design of the four ongoing global phase three studies, uh, Eula Torrance's potential commercial outlook could be broad, even though Somitomo Danapon has indicated the treatment of negative symptoms in schizophrenia is a priority. Um, but the potential of this drug could extend also to positive symptoms, cognitive impairments um, and hallucinations, delusions um, in Parkinson's disease. There's also Minerva's MIN-101 and Acadia's Nuclazid, um, which are also in development for negative symptoms, and their mode of actions also avoid the dopam dopaminergic-related uh, adverse events. Um, so MIN-101's results have been mixed. The phase three trial missed the primary endpoint of improvement in negative symptoms. And although the data from the European phase two trial were positive, the FDA is concerned whether these results can actually be applied to the US population. Um, the US, the FDA also pointed out that, the, that no studies so far have shown that the drug doesn't interfere with other antipsychotic medication. Um, but it still seems that Minerva plans to submit a post-hoc analysis, uh, excluding the data from one trial site that it believes had data integrity issues. Um, I think that it's a very promising asset. Um, the phase two data is encouraging. It showed statistically significant efficacy in reducing negative symptoms as well as good tolerability. Um, and the phase three data wasn't that far off. It just seems uh, unlikely that the FDA would approve it until further trials have been, been carried out. So it's uh, probably unlikely that this one will win the, the race to approval. Um, moving on to Nuplicid. Um, the fact that it's already approved in Parkinson's will certainly help with the, with the approval process. Um, it, after failing the phase three trial in antipsychotic resistant uh, patients, um, Acadia strategically refined the program back to phase two development for negative symptoms. Um, recent top line results from this trial indicated that Nuplicid produced a similar improvement in negative symptoms over placebo to that seen in the, in the previous MIN-101 MIN trial. Uh, phase two trial. Um, results from the phase three study uh, we're also waiting for. They're expected in uh, 2023. Um, also, currently, it's Nuplicid's use in Parkinson's um, comes to double the annual cost of any schizophrenia uh, drug. So careful price deliberations will have to be made in order for it to become uh, competitive. We've actually assumed in, in our forecast a 30% price cut for Nuplicid. Uh, in, in this indication.
And then aside from negative symptoms, are pipeline drugs targeting other unmet needs such as non-compliance? So a large part of non-compliance comes down to poor tolerability. So we've got Corona Therapeutics is developing CAR-XT, which combines a xanomelin, a novel miscarinic agonist uh, with trospium, which is uh, approved outside of schizophrenia. And this is, this is a, a muscarinic um, antagonist. Um, uh, this is for the treatment of psychosis, um, hopefully with improved tolerability. Um, although xanomelin alone has, has shown reduced psychosis and improved cognition, um, its advancement in trials has been limited by tolerability issues, um, which is a result of stimulation of muscarinic receptors in the peripheral tissues. And trospium uh, inhibits all five of these receptors in the peripheral tissues. Um, so although this is speculated at present, Karina believes that the drug combination has the potential to preferentially stimulate the muscarinic receptors in the brain without stimulating the muscarinic receptors in the peripheral tissues um, in order to hopefully have a meaningful therapeutic benefit in patients without these adverse events. Um, the conflict in Ukraine will actually have an impact on the development of this drug as many of these of the trial sites were situated there but the phase three trials are um, underway in the US currently. And there's also some extended release risperidone formulations in development um, hoping to improve the compliance through improved dosing convenience. So Teva's TV46000 uh, and Ravi's Risvan are both likely to struggle to compete with marketed therapies in, in the crowded LAI market, um, despite having, they do have some differentiating factors. So TV46000 differentiating factor is its two monthly dosing schedule, uh, giving it a convenience over, um, a convenience advantage over some, uh, but not all marketed LAIs, uh, the majority of which are once monthly. Um, I think you'll find it particularly hard to compete with the Invia Half Era, which is the six monthly version. Irisban with aims to overcome some of the drawbacks associated with risperidone LAIs, such as the use of loading doses or the need for oral risperidone supplementation at the start of treatment. And so this could potentially improve adherence and, com and compliance. It's also demonstrated a faster onset of action with effects seen after two hours. But I think overall it's it's once monthly dosing is likely to hold it back a little bit. Do you think any of these treatments you just mentioned could change the treatment paradigm? Um, I think it's unlikely any of these drugs will have a large effect on the treatment paradigm. They'll mostly be used, uh, implemented adjunctively to existing products or after more established, cheaper therapies have been tried. And I know also there is a lot of noise around psychedelics in the treatment for MDD and, of course, on the broader basis for psychiatry as a whole. Um, could you dive into this? Sure. So the real opportunity actually lies in replacing drugs like Prozac, Zoloft and other selective serotonin re re reuptake inhibitors. Uh, there's an increasing evidence of clinical benefits for a myriad of indications, actually, not just MDD.